The news is good. Happy Sunday, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones. Well, the news is good if you're a fan of the Garnet and Gold, and if you're listening to this show, I presume that you are. Florida State really dominant last night in a win over Florida, 31-13 to the final. Uh, it, it, it could have been worse than that, quite frankly. Florida State left some points on the board. Uh, there, you can pick any stat here you want to, but it, it was domination. The biggest thing that I was impressed with is how this team continued to evolve as a team. Uh, when the mistakes were made, when uh, Nooney uh, fumbles that uh, punt and it's returned for six, offense immediately comes out, switches field position. When Francois fumbles the ball, uh, defense immediately comes in and, and rises to the occasion. Every time there was something negative that happened that would have allowed the Gators to gain momentum, the other side picked up the side that had made the mistake. Uh, we haven't seen that, Tommy, through 11 games. And candidly, when we were sitting at 3-2, and two, we didn't know if we would ever see it. Uh, I think Jimbo's post-game comments when he talked about how proud he was of this team were genuine. I think they're real, and I think we need to listen to them because this squad, over the last six ball games, has really become a unit that we thought they were going to be when August camp started. Well, let's be fair about this. I mean, the coaching staff was criticized. The players were criticized in the month of September. And uh, at this point, we need to go ahead and and congratulate them and and give them some praise for the coaching job they did and for the fact that the players responded. Uh, This is a team that, and we've talked about this, if the schedule maybe had fallen a little bit differently, uh, maybe you're not looking at three losses right now. But it is what it is, and all you could do was play the games in front of you, and this team did that. And I think there's a chance that this team may get rewarded for that, given things that happen today on rivalry day if Clemson holds their own uh, and uh, is uh, the victor in the championship game depending on how the committee votes that open door has widened for Florida State to potentially be paying in a New Year's Six game Uh, and I think it's a very real possibility now. Well, and that New Year's Six game would be the Orange Bowl, and it'd be contingent on Clemson winning the ACC championship game this week over Virginia Tech. Uh, It would be contingent on Florida State being in front of Louisville when the college football playoff rankings come out uh, again uh, after all the championship games, and I would presume that would be the case because Louisville lost to Kentucky. We're getting into away from the game, but just to finish this thought, uh, so you have a scenario where hypothetically FSU's 11 or 12, Louisville's 14 or 15. Now, if you're Louisville, you're going to make the case that we hammered them head to head, but if you're the committee. That's a dangerous precedent to set if you're going to go down that road and you're going to reward somebody that's a few spots lower in the in the playoff ranking, which measures collective body of work compared to one head-to-head game. Uh, it can get political. It'll be interesting to see how it falls. It's not a done deal. But if it happens and Florida State gets rewarded and goes to the Orange Bowl, that leaves Alabama and FSU as the only teams in the last five years to go to a New Year's Six Bowl all five years, be in the college football playoff, and win a national title. And it sets up quite a matchup of FSU-Alabama to kick off next season. And again, to be fair and make sure our listeners are aware, the college football playoff committee not only votes on who the top four are that go into the playoff system, they also seed and set the New Year's Six Bowls. So the other things that Seminole Nation has been reading about, about this bowl may pick this team over this team, or this bowl may pick this team over that team, when it comes to the New Year's Six, the bowls don't have input. It's a decision made completely by the college football playoff committee. And that's where in the back rooms you never know. I mean, if it was that close, they could save themselves the 
the discussion point and just say, you know what, we'll rank Louisville one spot ahead of FSU. And be done with it. And be done with it. And that could happen, and we could all argue about it. The fact that, that Florida State's even in play for a New Year's Six-Day Bowl brings us back to how they performed last night and over the last – uh, really the second half of the season. I mean, I'd throw the Clemson game in there, too, even though they lost that game. Uh, ever since the North Carolina game, which was the first day of October, we have seen good effort. We have seen the team get better across the board. We have seen them play for each other. Uh, and, and last night was the epitome of that. If you look at last night's game from a Florida State perspective, uh, final score could easily have been 37-6 to or possibly even 43-44-6. to That's how how dominant Florida State played. Uh, it's a big score, and Florida State won handedly, but it could have been a whole lot worse on the scoreboard. Certainly could have. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher was pleased. Uh, he's now 7-0 and against Miami and 6-1 and against Florida. And oh, by the way, he had a plethora of recruits in, and I'm sure he was happy to point that out. Uh, let's listen in to uh, Jimbo's post-game comments. This is courtesy of Seminoles.com. Tell you one thing, that was a heck of an atmosphere. What a great night just for college football in general. That Florida-Florida State game and no Campbell on the chop going, I mean, that was that was a tremendous atmosphere thanks to our fans and support and the way they backed us in the game. But, you know, in a typical Florida-Florida State game, very hard fought. Hats off. They're a very good team. They're a very good defensive football team. They can run the football. they got playmakers at receiver. Uh, did a really nice job. Our kids played really well. Got a good start, good fast start. We were able to run the football. That's hard to do. Again, ran for 249 yards on the night. And uh, made some great runs. Quarterback was able to make some runs, made big plays in the passing game we had to. We were really good on third down, 11 to 17 on the night on third down, which was really big. Red zone were 3 of 3. Unfortunately, we uh, had a field goal or so in there, but uh, and had a couple uh, and got a couple other chances that we could have scored some points and we just didn't, didn't get it done. But you know, in those games like that, when you're playing those teams, they, they do a good job. And uh, but very hats off, our defense was outstanding. They were, they were outstanding on that. Played to run really well, six sacks. Uh, the pressures, uh, contested every throw. Uh, you know, there was no easy plays for them. Uh, you know, we, we had to turn over. We accidentally, you know, we put the ball on the ground uh, on the punt, which was, you know, we can't do that. That, that We had a three-score lead and could have started putting the game away and let them back in it. And very proud we'd come down and score it again. But, and DeAndre had a very bad decision there in the third quarter that uh, had a misread on a play and laid it up. But other than that, I, what I was happy about, he had two tough series right there, and then he came back and hit the big throw for a touchdown, and then he came back and had to run for a touchdown, and he led us and made plays and scrambled and kept his poison for a young player and the magnitude of that game against a Florida and, and a game like that to keep your poise, be able to come back after, you know, getting flustered or making a couple mistakes. That's hard. You have no idea at quarterback how hard that is to do. And sometimes when that game gets going fast and you make a mistake, to be able to slow it back down and go do that. That was unbelievably mature by him and uh, very happy for him and his development and where he's coming to. And uh, there's that little guy, number four. Wow. Tell you what, you bless to coach certain guys in your career, and uh, he's one of them. I mean, he is uh, – I can't say enough about him. And like I say, we, we see the player and the toughness and all that, but, man, the selflessness, the leadership, him on the sideline, the encouragement, the way he was at halftime with our guys. And they, I mean, man, you, you whew, what, a, what a daggone football player. What a daggone football player. I mean, uh, it's about the only way I can – I don't know what else to say about him. I mean, he was outstanding. And uh, another 153-yard night. And uh, Travis was big, you know, all those guys. And uh, just proud of him. And, Get ready to go and see where we go play a bowl game.
For complete coverage of last night's Florida State win over Florida, obviously log on to Seminoles.com. Much more than just Jimbo there. In fact, you'll hear a little bit more as this program moves along. But first class in Florida State history, Keith, to go 4-0 against Miami and against Florida. You went 4-0 against uh, Florida during your playing days. That alone is, is, a, is a great accomplishment to do it against Miami as well. Regardless of whether the teams are up, down, wherever they are on the scale, that's an accomplishment. Two things about that, Tommy. When, when you get together for your reunions, and for this class, the 2016 class, uh, those reunions won't, make any, won't be worth anything until uh, five or ten years from now, maybe 15 years from now. Uh, but when you start getting together when you get older, uh, what you talk about is, is how you played against Florida and how you played against Miami. Well, they've got two very good things that they can talk about during those reunions. Secondly, uh, you always remember your last home game. And this group, and, and only every other group, every other year does a group get to play their last home game against Florida in Doak. But this group did. And you always talk about your last game. Well, now they've got plenty of things to talk about. There'll be a lot of conversation going on with reunions of this 2016 group going forward. Hats off to them, the first class, as you mentioned, to beat both Florida and Miami four years consecutively together. Uh, what an accomplishment. You know why it's an accomplishment? It ain't never been done before. There you, there you That's go. That's how difficult it is. Hey, if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can visit them online at ctf.nu. We appreciate uh, Ron and the, and the folks there, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, for jumping on board here. As, uh, this was a, a new effort this year, and uh, we haven't consulted on this yet, but I suppose we'll continue it again next year. Uh, if they'll have us, if they'll, that, that the way it goes, yes. if they'll have us. If they'll have us, we, we perhaps <laughs> will be back uh, on Sundays for you. We, uh, as you know, we're going to spend a segment talking about offense, a segment talking about defense, then we'll uh, maybe look, you know, spend the last segment cleaning some some points up that we haven't made. Uh, but there really was a lot to be impressed with uh, last night, Keith. Uh, well, let's start with one that, that that was unbelievable: third down efficiency. Florida was 0 for 12 on third downs. Now they did have the one drive where they had back-to-back fourth downs that they were able to convert. But as a key metric, if you want to get into the metrics, this is a game in which Florida State did not allow a first down on a third down play attempted by Florida. 0 for 12. When's the last time that happened? Uh, the last time it happened was 1980 because Gene Sheridan, you were on the defense the last time a Florida State team. And how old am I? Yeah, well, and you ancient, know, ancient. You know what? The game was dedicated to Monk last night, and so for them to hit a mark that hasn't been done since the 1980 team, good for the Knolls. Very much so. Very much so. All right, we'll step aside here for now and uh, come back. And uh, are we going off? I think we got to go defense first in light of that. Great. In light of that, we'll talk defense next when we come back. Florida State wins 31-13, finishes the regular season 9-3. and Stay with us. We are just getting warmed up. Welcome back. We're going to give the defense its due, as we should. 207 total yards for Florida. And we could look at it and say Florida still looks pretty anemic on offense, and they look like they've got some issues that they haven't been able to solve since Tebow and Urban left. But let's go the other way and, and congratulate the defense on a great effort because Florida was behind the chains all night, and when it was an obvious passing situation, there was no hope. Well, Florida's offensive woes began and ended with the quarterback position. 
That doesn't mean they don't have talented receivers or some talented running backs. I mean, we saw that with Scarlett. Uh, you saw his ability to, to, to run the football. He had 14 carries. While he netted just 53 yards, you saw some flashes of what he could do. Uh, with Callaway and Cronkite, their receivers, you saw what they could do when the ball got to them. So Florida's deficiency on offense is strictly around the quarterback position. Uh, and Florida State was able to get six sacks. They were able to stop Florida State as we've already as Florida as we've already established on third down. Uh, and if you if you if you discount and take away the six points, seven points as it were that they got on the Murray uh, fumble uh, on the punt return, you know you only give up two field goals to them. So I don't care how anemic the group may have been. They had some talent. Uh, they don't statistically measure out well, but that was a very very heady. Uh, uh, inspired uh, great effort def- uh, by this defense to hold Florida to those metrics however you want to measure them. Hats off to this defensive unit. Well, and the defense created the first points of the game with the Josh Sweat sack recovered by DeMarcus Walker. Florida State gets a touchdown, and, and it just felt like a Florida State kind of night, really, from that moment on. Well, maybe maybe backing up, Florida did move the ball the first drive. You got a fourth down stop. I thought that was interesting. That, to me, uh, that told me that Jim McElwain had no confidence that his team was going to get in the red zone again. We're in the opening minutes. It's fourth and one. Yeah, you want to play mono mono but he just said three points isn't going to cut it. We're not going to get down here enough. we got to go for it on fourth down. Well, the book says when you're an underdog and you're at your rival's home site, when you get down there on your first drive, whether it's the first, second, or third possession, the first time you get down there, you take points. That's just what every coach grows up knowing when you're under the dog and you're a visitor. As you say, McElwain knew that he wasn't going to have any more uh, than the normal chances down there, chose to go for it. Florida State's defense rose to the occasion. Uh, and I think that's representative of things that they did throughout the rest of the game. Uh, I said this in the first uh, segment of this show, uh, both offense and defense. When, when the other side made a mistake or something happened, the, the offense came in, reverse field position. The defense would come in, create a turnover, get a big sack. This was the first game when both sides of the ball were playing to complement each other. Yeah, they, they really played well. And so the defense sets up those, those – uh, they get the goal line stand there early. They force a fumble. Uh, it ends up being 10 nothing. Uh, the interesting thing about this game, and it goes to the point you're making, uh, it was 10-6, I guess, before Florida State created some distance. And it really felt like one of those games where FSU had left Florida in the game and should be ahead by three scores, and yet here it is. We're in the third quarter, and, and Florida's four points down. And that's what you worry about in games such as this. The longer you let that underdog stay even with you or just behind you, the more confidence they get, the better they're going to be when they get into the fourth quarter. Uh, that, that throw, I know we're talking about the defense now, but that throw from Francois to, to Rudolph, was just the right thing at the right time. You couldn't draw it up any better. And then the defense comes right back out and shuts down Florida as they go into the fourth quarter. Uh, again, the defense doing what they needed to do after the offense have done what was expected of them. Let's listen to uh, one of the seniors on the defense, and there's there's not many. I mean, in terms uh, there's of seniors, only a couple, couple of three. I mean, in terms of seniors that are playing, you're talking about Demarcus Walker and Marquez White. Other seniors, Justin Shanks and, and Nate Andrews, who they're trying to get another year for. So, uh, Marquez White had, I think, three tackles, had a couple of passes 
broken up last night and is part of the class that is 8-0 against Miami and Florida, and that's where I started this conversation with him. Take a listen. With one of the uh, the few seniors, really, on the defensive side of the ball, Marquez White. Marquez, uh, first of all, and Jimbo just uh, pointed it out in his postgame talk to the team, first class that ever went unbeaten against Miami and Florida, 4-0 against both. That's That's got to resonate as a point of pride for you. Uh, it's, crazy. it's a crazy feeling, man. What a way to go out. Opportunity to be able to play UF at home, man. A great team on the other side, too. They, they make the, the rivalry what it is, too. They play a huge part in that. And just, man, we going out there and just dominating everybody. We didn't, we didn't really care what happened. We just played the whole game, man. How proud are you of the way this team responded, given where you were, uh, probably after the North Carolina game, when your, your hopes were, were, for the most part, gone at that point in terms of big aspirations? It didn't flinch, man. This, this team... Uh, after those losses, me and Demarcus, I kind of, I think we kind of figured out, man, this is not a rebuilding year, but just just a year for those for the for the young guys and the, and the younger part of the team, just to be able, you know, mature and and grow up and in many different facets. Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm just thankful, man, just for us not quitting. We didn't flinch. Uh, Things didn't go our way, and we, and we, but we stayed the course, man. Came to work every day. You haven't looked at these stats yet, but you may be aware. Third down conversions, Florida was 0 for 12 tonight. That's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like 0 for 12. They ain't supposed to get nothing. Well, so you guys did your job. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Tell me what the what the game plan was because Florida was uh, they were overmatched by what you guys did. I mean, they were behind the chains all night. When they had to pass, there really was no hope. Uh, went up front. That's the biggest thing, man. Those guys, I, I but we can. We, we, me and T. Uh, Tom and, and Trey, AJ Lane, we couldn't do the job that we do in the secondary without the without the D line, man. And hats off to them. Hats off to D. Walk, man. Sweat, uh, Burns, they 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 played their ass off this game. They really did, and uh, you know Dalvin Cook, he has a decision to make, and I know he's on the other side of the ball, but uh, just describe what it's been like to watch his career. Man, he, he's helped me grow as him and Demarcus probably helped me grow more, grow more as a leader, man. He, they challenged me to do it, just him specifically challenged me to, uh, you know, step up and be more vocal and just really believe in myself and just really know that I'm that guy because I had a good year last year. But he, he talked over the summer, man. He, he told me I'm, I mean, and what I am, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lockdown corner. He, he kind of gave me that confidence. So just being able to play with him, man, great teammate selfless uh, all for the team and he just he's a, he's a winner man he's a, one of the greatest players ever play here I know you've got a bowl game to go, but what are you going to remember about your time at Florida State? Just, just how I, I mean, developed, man. How I grew, just, man, just how I came in as a 160-pound freshman, not really knowing much about football, being a basketball, really being a basketball player. And just, man, the coaches never, they never quit on me. They never gave up on me. They always believed, they always believed in me. Just, so just to come right in the locker room and, and just running out in front of all those fans, man, and dope. I, I had to, I had to kiss the uh, 50. Y'all had to kiss the Seminole here before before I left, man. It just it means so much, and I'm just blessed and grateful to be able to play here. Now you get to kiss the Gatorhead because you guys still on that. Congratulations, Please. man. That's that's how it's supposed to be. No better way to go out. That is Marquez White. Congratulations on a great career. Thank you. Marquez White, really good interview there, and uh, had a lot of good things to say, Keith, about how proud he was of this team. Uh, turning their season around and how much he learned from Dalvin Cook, who he referred to as a completely selfless guy, also Demarcus Walker. Uh, and, and you said Jimbo was sincere in his comments that in his 29 years of coaching, he hasn't been more proud of a, a group of players. And that's what he told the team in the locker room, and he told us afterwards in the postgame radio. That's a pretty strong statement, uh, but it, it reflects the character and the heart that this team had to not throw in the towel and to come back and get to this point. Let's talk uh, top down. Uh, you're sitting at three and two. 
Uh, everybody's calling for Charles Kelly's head. Your defense is not performing well. They're not able to get lined up. They're not playing well. You're not seeing effort. That video comes out uh, that all of uh, true Seminole Nation saw about the loafs. Uh, you could have decided as the head coach you needed to make a change if for no other reason to make a change. Jimbo chose not to. He let Charles and his group continue to work with these youngsters. They made some personnel changes. They didn't make very many schematic changes. There wasn't anything wrong with what was being called. It was the execution of what was being called. And then you go on a five- or six-game tear after you start out three and two. You finish those last, let's just say, six games of the 12-game season. You're holding opponents to 200 yards, plus or minus. You're holding them 15 points or less, and you're winning football games. Jimbo could have decided to be um, different, could have decided to, I'm going to interject myself into the defensive side of the ball. He chose not to. Coach Kelly and his assistants uh, stayed with it. They didn't uh, you know, dramatically change things. As I mentioned, they made a few personnel changes, but, but they didn't panic. They didn't change the scheme. They just worked with the kids about getting better and lining up, getting better and making the calls, getting better in execution, and getting better in effort, and that's been rewarded. I think you have to credit Coach Kelly and his defensive staff for an excellent, excellent coaching job over the last five, six, seven games of this season. And the defensive line really shown to be what we thought it would be. I mean, they entered the game last night leading the nation in sacks I can't imagine they're not still in that position after tallying six more uh, so it's evident as you look back that uh, particularly that Louisville game which sticks in everybody's craw it's the first game without Derwin James Josh Sweat remember had the scare they flew him up he played hurt uh, Derek Nottie was hurt uh, it turns out if, if you're going to have three guys hurt on your defense uh, other than the, they would be in the top four guys you don't want hurt along with Demarcus Walker those three were hurt I'm not saying the result would have been different that day but the the scoreboard would have been a little bit closer because uh, when those guys were healthy it, it made a difference and the results over those last five six seven games are also still without Derwin without Nate, uh, with Trey being hurt, with some other kids that have gone down. Uh, But I agree with you. I think it all started up front when Naughty got healthy, Christmas got dedicated, uh, Josh uh, decided he'd play every play and not every other play, Uh, and of course DeMarcus continued with his steady effort. And then their backups were getting some some playing time, getting some experience so that when they got in, there was not a fall off. Uh, I, I just can't say enough about how this defense improved to the point where where they sit right now is exactly where we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. It's disappointing that it took them 12 games to get there, but that's where they are now. And I know we don't want to do too much on uh, look at next year, but again, Marquez and DeMarcus are the two seniors who are gone that play. Derek Noddy will have a decision to make. Uh, I don't know which way he'll go. Somebody inside the program suggested to me he thought Noddy would return. Who knows if that's the The case or not. The best case for that is the fact that DeMarcus returned, and watch what happens for him in the right. NFL draft comes right. springtime. Point being, I think there is a lot of reason to be excited about next year's team. All right, we will turn our attention to the offense. There's a lot to like there, too. Uh, if you're not aware, if you're under a rock, Florida State beat Florida 31-13 last night, and we're enjoying this hour as we recap it. Stay with us. We go to the other side of the ball now as we welcome you back and say uh, happy Sunday to you. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Uh, we have done this each and every Sunday all year long. If uh, if you're not aware of the front row, we host that every Wednesday night at 6, and that will go uh, year-round, unlike this show, which is just during football season. So uh, tune in uh, right here Wednesday nights at 6. 
for more of a, how would you describe this, Keith? Uh, a lot of football, but a lot of other stuff, too. Generally, uh, pretty much all Florida State related. That's what we do, and that's what we're going to do right now, talk offense. And to me, and we commented on this before we started recording, Unlike last year, where it really the game had to wear on before there were holes and Dalvin started to get his yards, when Florida State got the ball the first time and Dalvin was getting six or seven yards and ripped off a couple big runs, I said, oh, this, this is a little bit different than what I expected if those holes are going to be there. And I know Florida's defense didn't have all, all the bullets in the chamber there because they got guys hurt. Well, Florida had two. I mean, Florida State had two offensive linemen out, and Bobo Wilson was a starter. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play that card. Florida State deserves credit for what they did against a good defense. Dalvin Cook was outstanding from the get-go. He had 87 yards, I believe it was, in the first quarter. Finished the game with 179 yards total. About 150 of that was on the ground, I believe it was. Uh, he, he was just outstanding to the point where I think even Florida fans, and certainly the fans that were watching on national TV truly appreciate the talent of this young man. Uh, he was uh, healthy this year. Uh, I still believe the first couple of three ball games he was uh, either actual or perceived worried about his shoulder. Remember he had that shoulder surgery during spring football uh, and was recuperating from it. He was healthy this year, no hamstring problems. He was beat up, as was Francois. We'll talk about him in a minute. But he put together a complete season, didn't miss any games, uh, and I think uh, it's a foregone conclusion that he played his last game for Florida State, uh, at least during the regular season, in Doe Campbell against Florida. And I think he's going to be a first-round pick and maybe a very high round first round pick when everything is said and done. Uh, he, he finished off his career as the leading rusher in Florida State history, over 4,000 yards in just three years of participation. Uh, I don't think you could script anything uh, better from a, on the field, uh, in the locker room, on the practice field for Dalvin Cook. He also surpasses Greg Allen for the record for rushing touchdowns in a career. Uh, he needs a few more to get to total touchdowns, and he's probably going to come up a little bit short in terms of being the ACC's all-time leading rusher. I didn't do the math, but he'd need 250 or 300 in a bowl game to get there. And everyone ahead of him played four years. He would have only played three. Yeah, regardless of where he ends up, it's been fun to watch uh, Dalvin's career unfold, and he was terrific uh, again last night. Um, the, the, the touchdown, though, that, that turned the game – uh, or gave Florida State breathing room was really the pass that you mentioned last segment to Travis Rudolph. Not only was that a third down throw, and as soon as the catch was made, you knew you had a first down, he turned around and had to be shocked that there was nobody about to lay him out, and it was just green grass between he and the end zone. And, and uh, with that catch, 30 consecutive games with at least one reception uh, for Travis. Um, he, he had a good night, I thought, blocking. I think he did have the one hold call that uh, Jimbo was not pleased with uh, on a bubble screen or something. But he certainly stepped up. Uh, Tate had a couple of nice catches. Uh, you saw Rizzo with a, with a catch. Um, I mean, it, 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 part of the reason why those catches were made because the offensive line protected Francois. He did, uh, the Gators did not record a sack that I remember. <coughs> Pardon me. And Francois, while his numbers were not off the chart, they were very workmanlike. And as a result, Florida State ends up winning a game, uh, going away in a fashion you and I thought before the game would have been very close and very low scoring. 
No question about that. Let's uh, take a moment now to, to listen to Travis Rudolph, who I had a chance to talk to uh, in the locker room after last night's win. This uh, Travis's comments after his touchdown sort of broken open, part of a big night in a 31-13 Florida State win. I'm here with uh, Travis Rudolph, who had four catches for 63 yards and obviously the big touchdown. Before I ask you about that play, the game at that point was 10-6. to uh, And, you know, as a spectator, to me, it felt like the game should have been a little bit, uh, there should have been some wider separation than just 10-6. to Do you as a player think that way too? In other words, you, you guys had missed some opportunities and we're only up four. Yeah, um, I felt like we left plays on the field, but, you know, we just got to keep pushing. So then describe the situation there. It was a third down play, uh, your route, your assignment, and just how you saw it open up as DeAndre made the throw. Um, it was a it was a motion call, really. And uh, basically it's a read. He has an option read whether he chooses the guy that goes on the inside post or the guy that's, um, that's doing a stick route. And that's basically a six, six, and out three, and back in, like a uh, basically a corner post, you know. And I had the corner post, and um, it just opened up for me. And I saw Dirty, he threw the ball. I got flat with it, and I scored a touchdown. Looked like after you caught it, I don't know if you could see it, but Auden Tate maybe shielded the safety or somebody off there a little bit, and, cre- and that created just enough room for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, shout out to Auden Tate for that, you know. Um, he did his assignment. That's all it was. He just did his assignment, and then it just played out that way where he was shielding the guy. You're not a senior, but, I mean, you're part of a group that's gone unbeaten now the last several years. I mean, you're a guy from Florida. What's it mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. I mean, honestly, before I even came to Florida State, uh, I told myself that I would never lose to Florida. So, I mean, just to keep keep winning is a, a proud thing for me. 249 yards rushing. Now, I know we think of rushing yards. We think of Dalvin. We think of the offensive line. But uh, I, I know that Coach Dossie really emphasizes blocking on the part of the receivers. Tight ends get involved. I mean, it's a whole team effort to get to that kind of number against a defense like that. Um, definitely, you know. Um, Coach Dossie always emphasized that we don't want to be that guy, that, that man to make the tackle. So, you know, all of us, we take pride, you know, just to go out there and, you know, block our man, really, because uh, we actually get graded for that. You know, if our man make the tackle, then that's basically like a, a minus for us. What's the difference in this team right now, the way you played in November, compared to the way you played in September? Um, I feel like we finally getting it, you know, just just picking out the little details to make us a great offense and um, defense as well. You know, defense is playing excellent football, in my opinion. Congratulations on the win tonight. I'll let you enjoy it, and we'll see you in a bowl game. Thank you. Rudolph, just a junior, remember, and again, not to do too much of this look-ahead thing, Keith, but we did it on the defensive side of the ball, and we've mentioned this previously, but you look at that receiving core with Auden Tate and Travis Rudolph coming back and Nooney Murray uh, a year more mature and ex- excitement about Gavin and, and some others and, and the tight ends back. Uh, a lot of parts back on the offense, including the quarterback, but obviously number four, the biggest part that we assume is not going to be back. And, and you don't replace him. I mean, there is no replacing Dalvin Cook. Uh, Patrick uh, Green, uh, the freshman uh, that's been out most of the year, they've redshirted. Uh, Rasul, I guess it is. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of talent there. By no means am I suggesting you're going to have a talent like a Cook, uh, but you're going to have an offensive line. Obviously, Big Rod, Rod Johnson's got a decision to make relative to whether he wants to come out. But other than that, uh, the vast majority of your offensive line returns. Uh, I mean, it's an intact unit. You're going to miss Cook. There is no question. Uh, but there's certainly reason to be excited going into the bowl game and then thinking about the 2017 season. 
How about the senior Freddie Stevenson getting some love on the little belly dive? Thank you for bringing that up. I I, I couldn't be happier for a guy that, that gets no notoriety. He's loved by his teammates. He's loved by his coaches. But the, 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 the regular Florida State fan and certainly the average college football fan has no appreciation for Freddie Stevenson. For him to take that belly play and then uh, sprint through for a 27-yard touchdown on this, his last game against the Gators at home in Doak Campbell, uh, probably the only guy that was near as happy as Freddie was was William Barnon Floyd <laughs> up in the up in the in the uh, broadcast booth uh, jumping up and down because the fullback got a touchdown. It was uh, great to see you know, and I think I don't know how many carries he had this year. Feels like two. One of them went for a touchdown, and one of them was that long run against Clemson when McGuire checked to that play. Uh, he he might have had another couple in there, uh, obviously, but uh, good good for him. All right, let's talk about the quarterback now. DeAndre Francois, we, you know, there's no replacing Cook, but Francois has finished his first season. Uh, he goes 9-3. and three. Uh, He's among the nation's leaders in, in, in quarterback efficiency. He threw a bad interception last night, but all in all, I mean, he set the bar pretty high for year one. The interesting thing, by the way, about that interception is he went where he needed to go. He just missed the throw. Yeah. Uh, the tight end was open. He just overthrew him. Right. His decision-making, both pre-snap, uh, the things that they ask him to do about getting in and out of plays before the snap, his ability to stand tall in the pocket, almost sometimes, you and I have talked about this, Tommy, almost to his detriment. The only thing I wish for Christmas for Francois is an internal stopwatch that somewhere around three and a half seconds starts going off where he can either start protecting himself or getting out of the pocket. I felt like he got better about that last week. He did get better. And even even last night there was a play or two where he scrambled and he started that. He wasn't backing up and and wearing the hit, uh, but he got got some first down. And his legs are going to be a real weapon for him, too. And and he's never – Jimbo is not going to run his quarterback 25 times a game. But, uh, you know, last night nine carries, and none of those were sacks. So those were actual – Maybe not called runs because there were a couple of scrambles, but nine carries for 63 yards, no loss yards. I mean, that's a big win. Tell you what, that one quarterback draw, uh, which was, I believe, on a third down play, uh, when he went for about 15 or 16, uh, that was a crucial crucial call in the ball game in terms of maintaining momentum. And again, we all know about his arm strength. We all know about his decision making. Uh, he, he misses some throws every now and then, hence the interception. But you can certainly live with that given the unbelievable throws that he makes the majority of the time. I think we need to note too, and we don't, you know, we're not at practice. We don't know, but he was banged up a lot this year, and uh, I think it's, uh, you know, he didn't practice. I, I don't know how frequently he did, but there was a period of time where he wasn't practicing very much, and you don't get better if you're not practicing. And again, because the practices were closed, uh, you know, we can't confirm that. But you and I are of the same opinion. I think there were times when he was resting because of the hits that he had taken, and to his credit, he never flinched. He never backed down. Uh, he, he was just as tall in game one as he was in game 12. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a miraculous performance for a redshirt freshman. Florida State, uh, actually Charles Kelly said this to me after the game. I switched to the defensive side. He said, I guess we're SEC East champs again for a second straight year. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but, uh, no, DeAndre uh, should be proud. Uh, he knows about this Florida State-Florida rivalry, and, and congratulations to him. All right, we'll, we'll finish things up when we come back. Florida State celebrates a 31-13 win. Welcome back as we finish things up. Uh, let, let's go to the targeting call that wasn't. 
because that was a key point. It ended up being a fumble. What was your thought as you looked at the replay on that? Well, Jimbo, in my opinion, I did not talk to him, but the consensus in the broadcast booth was that DeAndre appeared to be going in for a slide. I don't believe that to be the case. He might have been trying to slide, but the Florida defender had him by the jersey, which is what pulled him backwards. So his feet were going forward. And then he got hit with, with the elbow and the shoulder pad of the other defensive player above the neck. Okay, Number one, as soon as he runs with the football, he is no longer a defensive player. So the targeting rules about receivers or a quarterback in the pocket don't apply. Number two, he wasn't sliding. So the targeting rule relative to sliding doesn't apply, i.e., it was a legal hit. Number three, they went back and reviewed the fumble, and there wasn't enough video evidence to overturn the call, which on the field was that it was a fumble. I was looking at it. I looked at it several times, both on the big board replay, and I had a monitor where I could see the television replay. And it appeared that the ball came loose before his elbow hit the ground. wasn't conclusive. That's why when they came back, and again, our fans need to pay attention to this, if the video operator believes that the call was absolutely correct, it will say the call on the field was confirmed. When they don't have enough video evidence, then they the, say call, the call stands. The call stands, and that's exactly what the call was. So you're saying the fact that he was hit above the neck doesn't matter. It's not applicable. If he had been sliding, it would have been applicable. But he wasn't into his slide. The reason his feet were ahead of him is because the player behind had grabbed his jersey, also legal, he's a runner, and pulled him backwards. And I think that's where the misunderstanding, miscommunication, and, and, and the frustration of Seminole Nation is. I think they believe he was going into the slide, therefore the targeting rules would have been applicable. He was not, by my estimation. The, the crew on the field got it right, and the replay official didn't have enough evidence to overturn the fumble. Would you agree that the targeting rule needs to be cleaned oh, up? There's because, no question. Because it is it is called. Uh, I mean, here you have a guy that, whether it was targeting or not, comes in with the intent to basically decleat the quarterback. Then you go back to the NC State game where Brian Burns appears to be trying to move out of the way and not hit the quarterback, and he gets It's just enforced inconsistently across the board. There's two things about the targeting rule that need to change. Number one, the last line of the rule says, and I quote. When in doubt, throw the flag, quote, unquote. That's the instructions officials are given. If you even think it was targeting, throw the flag. Number two, I don't know how to change the verbiage, how to change the training, because the Burns hit and the DeAndre hit in the Florida game are the two extremes. And I don't know how you judge right. intent. That becomes a problem. What I do know is we all are in agreement that player safety is foremost. We now have a targeting rule in which we've experimented with, and I think we would say is... 60% okay, 55% okay. It's a little better than 50-50, so we've done something. But we do need to go back and look at it now and see if there can't be some things done to tweak it. The first of which is that last line. Let's don't throw the flag. Let's let the replay official make that call. I, I will say I was amazed watching that hit live that nobody threw a flag. Uh, because I think of the Nigel Bradham thing. Just when you see something that vicious and that fast. But he's not a defenseless player, no, so no. there was no reason to throw a flag. 
No reason to throw the I, flag. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying I'm surprised because I've seen it happen plenty of times where they're, they're going so fast and the impact is such that the referee or the official assumes that's what it was and they throw the flag. That's what happened to Brad. We're going down a rabbit hole that we don't have time to solve right now. So And you're wrong. And I'm wrong. There you go. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. So says Keith. Uh, the punt uh, fumble by Nooney Murray. Another interesting part of the rule, by the way. If he muffs that punt, then they can't advance. They can't it. advance. But because it. he caught it, because and he caught it, took a step, it's a fumble. I, I'm just going to point out, real quick, for those that were um, really frustrated, they didn't see more of Nooney Murray early in the season. And Jimbo said, "There's some things he needs to clean up." Okay, we've now seen an NC State game where, as good as he was, he personally ended three drives by dropping two passes on third down and, and not lining up correctly. Uh, he cost Florida State a timeout in the Clemson game, uh, it, maybe a two-point try for not lining up correctly. He fumbled a punt at Syracuse. He fumbled a punt in Florida that left the door up. And I'm not harping on Nooney. I'm just saying the coaches are at practice every, every day, day, and they know who should be playing. And that's the answer to why Nooney wasn't playing sooner. I, I love – all of us love being Monday morning quarterbacks in the case of college football, Sunday morning quarterbacks. But you're exactly right, and and this staff sees them every day. They know what's going on. Um, there, there's reasons that the, you know Jimbo's never going to come out and say that Nooney doesn't practice hard enough, or he fumbled two punts on Tuesday's practice, or he does this, or he doesn't do that. Coaches are not going to do that. Jimbo's not going to do that. But there is a reason kids are not seeing playing time, and sometimes we just need to trust coaches' judgment. We'll wrap up on this, going back to just the rivalry overall, Keith. Uh, 7-0 and against Miami for Jimbo and now 6-1 and against Florida. Uh, and he's going to a bowl. Obviously, he's completing his seventh year. This year didn't li- live up to what the preseason hype was. But, but nevertheless, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good seven years following uh, Coach Bowden. Again, I go back because uh, I'm a product of, of Coach Bowden and was privileged to have played for him. Uh, and I'm older. I've got a perspective, I think. Uh, some may call it old-fashioned or otherwise. But in his first press conference upon being hired at Florida State, Coach Bobby Bowden said, I know I've got to win the state championship or they're not going to keep me very long. That was 38, 37, however many years ago that is. Uh, beating Miami and beating Florida is the cornerstone of being successful as a Florida State coach. Fortunately, over the years, thanks to Coach Bowden and now continued by Jimbo, it's bigger than that. You're trying to get into the playoff. You're trying to win national championships. You obviously want to play in the ACC championship game. That was not something Bobby could talk about in 1976. We weren't in a conference. But the bottom line is that state championship has stayed the same throughout four decades now. If you can win in the state of Florida, you're going to have some success on the national stage. Be real interesting to see how things shake out. We talked about the Orange Bowl at the top. We won't speculate more on that now, but just bear in mind now, Florida State just dismantled Florida 31 to 13. So what happens if Florida gives Alabama a little bit more interesting game this week in Atlanta? A lot to to still be played out, but it would be something if this team ended up in the Orange Bowl. We're out of time. We'll talk about it more on Wednesday night. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, go Knowles.